This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. We are going to get inspired, motivated, and driven by today's guest. Uh, his name is Shea Hillenbrand. I remember him for torturing my Yankees in the early 2000s as a member of the Red Sox. He's a two-time former Major League Baseball All-Star since retired, uh, and he has converted uh, over to, I mean, real estate investor, real estate agent, speaker, coach, you name it. I mean, this guy has done so much, and we're going to focus a lot on some really interesting stuff that you wouldn't have guessed about a guy playing at his level around purpose, identity, and some other things like that. True story. When we were talking, I was driving in a snowstorm in Cleveland. He got me so fired up, I almost slid off the road twice. So I'm excited to have him here. Shea Hillenbrand. Welcome, brother. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm super honored to be able to share and maybe lighten up some people's lives. Yeah, you absolutely will. You absolutely will. So we know the uh, people are going to remember the name. How do you not remember a Major League Baseball All-Star if you follow the game at all? But how about some of the beginnings? Let's start there. Let's kind of go back and then we'll we'll kind of skip over to the present. But what's your what's your origin story? Where are you from? Kind of bring us up to uh, up to your baseball career. Yeah, like you said, I've been a two time MLB All-Star. I made some really good money playing baseball to, you know, eight figures and and uh, I've been been a top performer pretty much my whole life. I've been that type of person to, to sit out there and just try to try to achieve as much as I can with whatever I can. Like like if we're digging holes in the backyard, I'm gonna dig a hole better and, and nicer, symmetrical than anybody else around me. Uh, I don't know if it's something that's just been given to me or something I trained over time, but uh, you know I, I love doing that and I love taking pride in everything that I do. So uh, you know. But I wasn't always a top performer. I'm sitting on my bed at 14 years old and my dad walks into my room and he proceeds to tell me, hey, son, we're moving and we're moving out of state. And I was like, what? I was stunned, just devastated. Mind you, I'm in my adolescence, right? It's my formative years. I'm going from middle school to high school, like junior high to high school and, and trying to get my identity. My identity was wrapped up in baseball and sports and my community of friends and the story I told myself, my dad left the room that day. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. My dad definitely doesn't love me because how can he uproot me for all my childhood friends? This makes zero sense. And that story I formed in my head that day formed a perspective and that perspective ultimately breaks me. So as I reluctantly leave all my friends and move to Arizona from Southern California, um, palm trees to cacti, <laughs> desert, hot, human. Um, it's one of those things that I decided, I decided to become an overachiever through athletics. I wanted to be the first guy there, last guy to leave every single day, not to go to the top, not to become some prestigious professional athlete, but to get my approval and acceptance and admiration from my parents. That's it. So high school, I became the number one soccer player in the state of Arizona. Not many people know that about me. Uh, I had chances to play in Europe. I had chances to play at universities, but I wanted to play baseball. Growing up, growing up in LA, a diehard Dodger fan, uh, I, I would sit at the third deck, and I just always envisioned myself being on the field. I just like, man, I'm going to go out there. 
Uh, I didn't really have a favorite player. Matter of fact, my favorite player was Steve Sachs and a guy couldn't even throw the ball to first base. So uh, I was always for the underdog. Um, But uh, I'd always envisioned being a major league baseball player. I always said, I'm going to be on that field someday. And it was really interesting because this happened from eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. I'd hear the crack of the bat, the roar of the crowd, uh, you know, the smell of the grass. And I'd always imagine an announcer, PA announcer, announcer announcing my name, now batting number 29, Shea Hillenbrand. But that was just the first aspect of engaging my visualization. Uh, the second aspect was I'd go home at night and I'd lay in bed and I'd always envision myself cashing a million dollar paychecks. I'd envision myself being on the bottom ticker of ESPN, uh, uh, being on TV and, and, and doing the things that as a 10, 11 and 12 year old would imagine a major league baseball player would do. So uh, after high school, I didn't have anywhere to play baseball at all. Um, my childhood dream is to go play at Arizona State, but I didn't have any options out of high school. And that's what I want to share with the audience. Like if your dream is there, if your vision is there, that's been given to you and it doesn't go away, there's a reason why it's there. It's for you to pursue. But for so many people, life kicks us in the tail. Life knocks us down. Life makes that dream and that vision go dormant. And then we find ourselves in complacency and mediocrity. I call shackled to the status quo, confined inside your internal zoo to where it's just like, ah, So what I'm doing is I'm ingraining those limited beliefs and that BS rambling around my mind if I do that. So I walk on at a local community college here in Arizona. I live in Arizona now, uh, Mesa Community College. The only reason I made the team is my work ethic. I was the first guy there and the last guy to leave every single day. And with that being said, after my sophomore year of junior college baseball, I became the number number one baseball player in Arizona in the junior college level. And that gave me a chance for my dream to become true. Like what happens next changes everything for me. I get drafted by the Boston Red Sox. And the funny thing is, and I think you'll appreciate this as a Yankee fan, I'm 20 years old and I proceed to tell all my friends and people close around me that I got drafted by the White Sox. And they're like, what are you talking about, man? I said, they're like, Red Sox. It's like, one of the most prestigious organizations, the Red Sox Yankee rivalry. It's one of the biggest rivalries in sports, period. 1918, last time they won the World Series. It's a Red Sox nation. It comprised of six states. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Got to understand, guys. I, I grew up in LA, a Dodger fan. The consistency of a Dodger fan in LA when I grew up in the 1980s is you show up in the third inning, you leave in the seventh inning to beat traffic, and you listen to Vince Scully on the radio. I don't know anything about baseball outside of Chavez Ravine where the Dodgers play. And number two, let me tell you one thing, guys. I don't give a damn what Sox it is. I'm going to the big leagues. <laughs> so I get drafted and I'm hitting in the batting cage in the minor leagues. Uh, my first spring training. I'm barely understanding and realize what team I'm on. And I come out of the batting cage and the minor league director comes over to me. I'll never forget this guy. His name is Bob Schaefer. And he was a director of the whole minor league system. And he said, come here, son, I got to talk to you. I said, what? He says, you have all the makings to become a major league baseball player and make millions and millions of dollars. And that's all I ever wanted to do to get my father's approval. So I said, tell me what to do. I was so green at it. I was like, just tell me what to do. So he laid out this plan for me. And then I just implemented the plan. And that's what so many people struggle with is that they find somebody that's been there and done it. 
They resource that through social media or YouTube or, or go get a coach or whatever. And then they have that coach lay out a plan for you. That's what you got to do. But the hardest part is you have to implement it. You have to take the steps. And what I did is I just focused on the small things. I didn't focus on the big strides. I focused on the small things that I could have done. I had to do every single day. And after five years playing minor league baseball, going through the trenches, going through bus rides of 13 hours, playing in podunk towns in the Midwest with tractors, dragging the field, like, like it's crazy what you go through in the minor leagues. And the reason why they had the minor league system for major league baseball is to weed out all the weak minded players and all the character struggling players to where once you get the big leagues, you have a solid product that's going to be able to produce on a consistent basis because it's so hard to hit a flipping baseball. So after five years, I became player of the year, three of the five years of the teams I played on. It's crazy. Like, like I don't even know how I did it. Like five years before I like, I walk on at a junior college to play baseball because I had nowhere to go after high school. So with that being said, I got my shot of being a major leaguer. Um, 2001, I go to spring training as a catcher. I get drafted as a shortstop, couldn't cut it there because I don't know how to field a ground ball. Went to third base, went to first base, went to left field. And then I, they say, hey, you want to catch? And I was like, sure, I'll learn how to catch. So I learned how to catch and I went to the big league spring training as a catcher. And when I came to big league spring training as a catcher, I behaved like a big leaguer. I didn't act like a minor leaguer. I didn't act like an outlier. I took advantage of every opportunity I had because I was like, I'm just getting my reps in so I can go be the starting catcher for the AAA team in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I wasn't even thinking about becoming a major league. So I just put my head down and I just worked and worked and worked and I just behaved. And that's what I want your viewers to do. It's like, it's so simple. You have to behave because your behavior leads your emotions. Your behavior leads your feelings. It leads your talent and your behavior leads your ability. If you behave like you're that big leaguer, if you behave like you're an all-star, what happens is you start becoming that. But so many of us behave and be confined inside that internal zoo to where we get ourselves stuck by training our mind just to be where we are rather than being where we want to be. So I go to the very last day of spring training, my rookie, my, my not my rookie season, but um, my season for I'm going to the big league camp and I'm thinking I'm going down to AAA. And the bench coach comes over to me and says, hey, Skipper needs to see you. And I was like, what? Cool. Like I made it all the way through spring training. I'm going to go back down to the minor leagues and everything's going to be cool. So I walk into the manager's office and I was like, hey, Skipper, he said, you need to see me this is Jimmy Williams. And he says, yes, son. He reached out his hand and said, congratulations, you made this team. I was like, what? Like, how is this even possible? I thought Ashton Kutcher was going to pop out. Like I was getting pumped. And I was like, what? What, what? Really? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So I made the team, $125 million payroll. I thought I was going to AAA. I skipped AAA. I'm going to the big leagues. Like, it's crazy. Like what happens when you commit to what you do and you behave and you just take the little steps every single day and don't give up. So after you leave spring trading, you go to two different towns to have exhibition games before you open up the season. So we're going to go to Houston. We're going to go to Cincinnati. And then we're going to open up in Baltimore. Get to Orioles. So I go to Houston. I've never been in a, in a five-star hotel before. We, we roll up on the Ritz-Carlton. I'm like, this is the big leagues, man. And I go to put my room key in the door. And 
uh, there's a doorbell. And I'm like, why is there a doorbell? Mind you, I've never been anything other than a Motel 6 or a La Quinta Inn or something like that. And I open up the door and this room is so vast that if I'm on the other side of the room in the bathroom, you have to use the doorbell because I wouldn't be able to hear you. Wow. So I'm on top of the bed, like jumping up and down, like Macaulay Culkin, like I'm in the big leagues. Right? Like, are you serious? Like, and I wanted to go to the park early the next day because when you're in the minor leagues and go to big league spring training, you have a number that's really high. I was number 71. I was like a, a defensive end or whatever, but that's how they dif- differentiate the minor leaguers from the big leaguers and the big leaguers had lower, uh, more desirable yeah. numbers. 10, and 20. What people don't realize is that when you go to major league spring training, they have a custom tailor come into the clubhouse. And what he does is he takes all your measurements, like a custom made suit. And when he does with that is like, then they make a custom made uniform for you. So each uniform is custom made for each player. And in the minor leagues, it's just like a city league field. I just wear the same uniform as the year before it's passing around, whatever they do that because they want you to go, you know, be desired to go to the big leagues. So I go to the ballpark four hours early at, uh, it was Minute Maid ball, Ballpark. I don't know what it is now, but it's where the Astros play. And I walk in a major league clubhouse. I envisioned this as a kid at the top deck of Dodger Stadium. Yes, there's talent. Yes, there's opportunity. But it starts with the visualization. And so many of us lose sight of that. And I'm walking in the clubhouse and the clubhouse manager comes by. He's like, hey, Mr. Hillenbrand, welcome to the big leagues. Let me show you where your locker is. This and that. And I, I walk into the clubhouse and I'm like, Taj Mahal. And I look at my locker, Hillenbrand, number 29. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. I got to put on my uniform. And the only people there are the trainers, pitchers, and people that are rehabbing. Like I said, four hours before we're supposed to be there. I'm like, I don't give a dang. I'm going to be here. So I put on my uniform and I'm like, like, it's like pajamas. It's like, I'm chilling. I'm at my, I'm like, got my, I'm like just sitting there like a kid in little league waiting for his spot but I'm in the big leagues. And that same damn bench coach comes over to me. Hey, Shay, Skipper needs to see you. Oh. And I jump up and my stomach drops. And I'm like, are you freaking serious, man? Like he didn't even give me one day in the big leagues. He's going to send me down already. Are you serious? It's, it's ridiculous because I was the last guy to come up and I was the first guy to be expendable. Right? So I take that walk of death into the manager's office. And I was like, Hey, Skip, uh, he says you wanted to see me and he's like, sit down, son. And I sit down on the couch across from the manager's desk, Jimmy Williams. And he says, I've been thinking about this long and hard and you're going to be my starting third baseman on the opening day. And I was like, all right, thank you very much. Have a nice day. I ran out of the, the office. I didn't want to give him a second chance. I'm like, are you serious? I don't even know how to play third base. Like I'm going to call timeout on a bump play and tell no more Garcia par like, Hey, you got to do this. And then walk over to Pedro Martinez and say, Hey, Pedro, you got to get like, really? Like, like it's all in how you behave. Like so many things will happen if you understand how to behave and set the goals and go out there and achieve them and just put your head down regardless of what anybody says. And I, and I had it time and time again. I was the first guy to go to the major leagues for the Red Sox for 30 years from the seventies. And the first guy to do it after me is Jackie Bradley Jr. So it's like, I, I'm not an extraordinary talent. I wasn't a top prospect, but I was always prepared for the opportunity. See, so many people just sit back and wait. And when the opportunity comes, I'm going to take action. But that's so many people lose out on opportunities because they do that. You have to prepare. 
You have to prepare for that opportunity day and night and have that vision so close and that dream so close to your heart that when that opportunity arises, you're ready to pounce on it like a tiger in the weeds getting ready to jump on an antelope. Like, I'm just doing it. So here I am on opening day, 2001. I'm starting third baseman. I'm on the field. I thought I was going to AAA. I was just in AA in the, in the muck of all the minor league stuff. And they're playing a the national anthem. And I have tears coming down my face. I'm here. Oh my gosh, I'm living it. But I have pain. See, see, the pain that I had inside myself was from that story that I told myself at 14 years old, my dad left the room. And that perspective from that story was formed a deep pain inside of me. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. And my dad doesn't love me. So over the next seven years of my life, major league career, I, man, I had highlight after highlight after highlight. Sorry to say this, but I was the first guy to hit a game-winning home run off Mariano Rivera at Fenway Park, first Red Sox player. I, I mean, I was two-time all-star. I, I hit three home runs in three consecutive innings in one game. I played in a perfect game at first base in Atlanta behind Randy Johnson. I played in two other no-hitters, and I did so many things that are going through my mind right now on a major league baseball field. Here I am. I apexed the mountain that so many of us are trying to achieve and we're trying to get there and we're trying to do it. I have anything and everything I ever wanted. I have, I'm flying private jets. I have three mansions. I have six automobiles. I have 300 pairs of shoes. Yes, I love shoes. Don't, don't judge me. I had, I had it all, but I didn't have fulfillment. Yeah. I didn't know who I was and I don't own my life. Because I don't have to. See, it's so easy for me to hide behind that veil of Major League Baseball player. I had little girls in the stands holding up signs saying, will you marry me, Shay? And I'm doing autograph signings for $10,000 an hour at Rotman's, Rotman's in Worcester, Massachusetts, a furniture store. And girls are coming to the table crying and shaking just because they get to meet me. Not because of something that I did, but they can't see that pain inside of me. That pain of, I don't understand who I am. I don't know how to navigate this space. I, so I attach my identity to what I do. And so many of us do that, especially men, as we go up, like we, we, we attach our identity to our success and our status and our monetary and, our, and, and all these little things that we have out there. I have it all. So I quit. See, I was so numb to everything and everybody around me because that perspective that I formed from the story that I told myself at 14 years old in my subconscious system. That's the program that I ran that got me to the top, that pain, but I wasn't able to sustain success because I didn't understand how to leverage that pain. I didn't understand where that pain came from. So I walked away. In the prime of my career, leaving $50 million of potential earnings on the table. Here I am on top of the world, and I just leave, I vanish. And I had this great idea to come home just to be a father to my three beautiful children and pursue my second childhood dream of owning a zoo. Yeah, you heard that correctly, I bought a zoo. <laughs> I was that kid in fifth grade that Mr. Murphy came around and he says, all right, guys, we're going to dream. And we're, what do you guys want to do when you grow up? And I'm vigorously raising my hand in the back of the room and like, ha ha, pick me. And he's like, all right, Shay, what do you want to do? I'm like, I'm going to play major league baseball and I'm going to own a zoo. And he's like, all right. And all my classmates laughed at me. And I said, fool, 
Watch. I'm going to do it. See, whenever we're pursuing our dream, we might jump from one profession to another. We might do something because we have a vision inside of ourselves that we know that keeps tugging at us and people are going to laugh at it. People are going to tell you you're stupid. People are going to tell you you're going to fail. People are going to put their limited beliefs and their limited perspectives on you because they don't want to see you succeed because they know inherently that they're not going to succeed even though they've been given a dream and a vision. So I purchased a $5 million horse farm in Gilbert, Arizona. And I accumulate 300 farm and exotic animals. I have camels, kangaroos, llamas, alpacas, raccoons, monkeys. I have two 800-pound pig, Wilshire pigs, Taco Bell and Gilbert. I have, a, I have a blind horse that came off the track, thoroughbred track. And I have a CNI pony. I have a three-legged goat named Trace. I have a, I have a Holstein cow named Biggie. And I have a, a miniature donkey named Tupac. So they had wards, Biggie, Tupac wards, West Coast and East Coast. I had to separate them in different pastures because in the middle of the night, they get their possible. I'm just kidding. They get, they get there. But the thing <laughs> It's like, it was amazing. And what I would do is, is, is I had a vision with my nonprofit foundation to rescue these animals. And when I rescued these animals, I just re rehabilitated them with unconditional love. And I put them in a petting zoo environment and I invited inner city disabled and child crisis children out in a petting zoo environment, like a birthday party thing with like the train and all that stuff um, to interact with the animals. What happened at that farm and that zoo superseded anything I ever did on a major league baseball field. I could tell you story after story of people's lives being transformed and the joy I received witnessing my animals transforming thousands of children's lives in my community through my nonprofit foundation against all odds was just priceless. Like you can't put a price on it. I'm bound to get fulfillment now. I'm yeah. bound to find what all that stuff I'm trying to seek internally. See, the greatest battle that I ever fought wasn't between the lines, under the lights, on ESPN, in front of 40,000 people in Yankee Stadium with the popcorn and Stephen A. Smith on TV talking trash about me to get ratings. That wasn't the biggest battle that I would fight. It was the internal battle. So Major League Baseball didn't feel it. The fame, the glory, the money, the status, None of that filled what I was trying to seek. So I found myself at three o'clock in the morning, eight years ago on the floor of a van after having it all. This van is parked outside my ex-wife's house with my three beautiful children at arm's distance away. Mind you, I quit baseball because of my three beautiful children. The children that I just wanted to aspire to be a father to like so many other men out there. I love my children so dearly. I'm on the floor of this van motionless. And after overdosing on drugs and alcohol, the soul's leaving the top of my head and I'm clinging on to my last breath. I was trying to run numb and flee from that pain, from that perspective. I wasn't an alcoholic and I wasn't a drug addict, but I couldn't manage that pain anymore. I would wake up in sleepless nights, pondering my purpose. I would have empty encounters with, with, my wife and my children. And I just wanted life. To, I just don't know what to do. Is this what life's all about? And as I'm laying there, nothing but negative thoughts going through my mind. You're a failure. You're a loser. Everything everybody said about you on TV, on the news, on social media, you're the cancer of the team. You lost everything. You're a loser. See, everybody that tried to beat me up on a major league baseball field, you couldn't even compare to how much I beat myself up every single night I went to bed because I didn't want to be that way. But the pain inside myself was a crying, hurt, scared little boy that was trying to scream for help, but I couldn't. 
because I have ego. I have pride. I'm treated like a God. I can't show that. That's a weakness. What would your parents think if you left the world today, Shay? What kind of dad would do this to his kids? Are you serious? My answer to that was, I don't know. I'm nothing if I don't have baseball. So I just let go. I don't know if I died or if I fell asleep. I was there by myself with nobody around. As my children are going to school, telling all their friends that my dad played for the Arizona Diamondbacks because we live in Arizona. I'm scrounging up change out of my cup holder just to try to feed my kids Little Caesars pizza after I was cashing million dollar paychecks on top of the world. How do you do this, Shay? See, my name had become the game, my identity. But by the grace of God, I, I woke up the next day. The sun peered through the front windshield of my van and it went in my eyes and it woke me up. And when I came to, I was like, man, like, ah, uh, I, don't, I don't have any side effects. See, the concoction of pills and alcohol I, I consumed the night before, I should have either been in the hospital or dead. Like, I was just trying to numb that pain. I was just trying to escape my current reality because I, I wasn't equipped to, to navigate that space. Man, Put me in a major league stadium right now at 46 years old. I can crush a major league fastball, but I don't know who I am at that time. And I came to, and I, I like, it was like an aha moment. I, I didn't have any headache or, or side effects or nausea or nothing. And I was forced with two main decisions. So many times with us as men, we get forced to a point where we have to make two main decisions. And those two main decisions that all of us have to make is we have to take back control and we have to own our life. I never had to do that on top of the world because I hid behind the veil of celebrity athlete and so many celebrity successful people do the same thing. So all that stuff that you see us achieving doesn't mean anything because there's no fulfillment on the inside. So I just started gaining momentum. I knew I had to get into momentum ASAP. Like I had to stack little wins on top of each other and just keep going every day. And I had to commit to it. I committed to myself. I said, I got to commit to designing a new life, which I refer now to is the all-star life. Designing the all-star life, which is how do you want to play this game? See, you can rewire those pathways in your brain. You, you could actually design the life that you want you just have to understand that it's possible and you have to put in the work. So whatever you're trying to achieve, you have to understand that, that vision first, but what are you willing to do to achieve that? And I'm willing to sell my soul. I'm willing to die for this because I was like, I had it all. I drive around like, like so many days, like wondering what the purpose of life is. I did it. I was in fifth grade. I did the American dream, not once, two dreams. I did it, but it's not where it's at. So once I got momentum, I really realized it's like, man, I got to, I got to stand on guard in my mind. I got, I got to understand like, like, what am I saying to myself? See, once I became aware of what I was saying to myself, the most important conversation you'll ever have in your life is the conversation you have with yourself. And that conversation you have with yourself is the foundation of who you are. And I'm saying, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I'm a piece of crap. I always fail. I can't do this. What am I doing? I'm, 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 I'm creating a, a program in my mind. It's like self-destruction. And that's what so many of us men do. You don't have to be a major league baseball player, celebrity. We all go through it. 
So I stood on guard to my mind. It's like, oh, wow, dude, like I got to be careful, like negative thoughts and turn those negative thoughts into neutral thoughts and, and really utilize the techniques and tips I use to crush home runs on a major league baseball stadium. I had to implement that into my personal life. And then I understood like, man, I had to make a hard, cold look in the mirror and say, what do you believe to be true about yourself, Shane? What do you believe? What are your values? Because that's the foundation of your behavior and your identity and, and your programming is what you believe is true about yourself. And, and, and I discovered that the most powerful force in human nature is for us to stay congruent and stay in line to what we believe to be true about ourselves. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what you do. You have to go to the core of who you are. Like, what do I truly believe? I believe that I'm a, I'm a hurt little boy. And I, I had these stories that are rambling around in my mind. And, and these stories were the, the foundation of, of my identity, of who I was. So I had to reverse engineer it and peel back the layers of the onion and really go deep and say, what, what was this? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's the story I told myself as a kid with interactions with my father. And, and what I realized through this journey is that the stories that I was telling myself were 100% incorrect. My father moved us from California to Arizona to give me a chance to play Major League Baseball, but he didn't know how to communicate that because he was fighting a generational curse with his father and his mother. And the stuff that my father and my, his, my father went through with his father and mother was so far greater than whatever I went to, but it doesn't matter. See, it doesn't take, uh, well, I didn't get molested or I didn't get in a car accident. I didn't, my parents were alcoholics. Uh, my, my story is not that. But the other understand is your story is the baseline of your truth. And you operate off of your truth. And from that truth, we make excuses and we use our current situation to validate where we are to keep us stuck. And th th those are valid, but it's not going to help you get to where you want to go. So through this process, I understood that, man, I got to create a new belief system. I have to create an elevated belief system of who I am outside of what I do. And I just worked on it every single day. I started keeping credibility with myself. I had to understand how to keep the promises to myself because my self-esteem was like nothing. I remember hitting a game winning or go ahead home run off Mike Messina in Yankee stadium as a Red Sox player, 42,000 in the stands. I mean, yeah. I wish I didn't do it because I hated who I was. So you guys as fans, it's like, Oh my gosh. It's like, even that I'm running the bases and, and, and the, the whole energy of the stadium just collapses and like, like I could perform in Yankee stadium. That's like the biggest stage in baseball. I could perform there because I put all my eggs in one basket as a performer and nothing in the basket as a person. I left nothing in the basket to work on me as a person. So I, I, I'm, I'm going crossing home plate. I'm going back to dugout and I hear somebody in the stands say, a Yankee fan, Hillenbrand, I still taste your mom's mm, from last night. And I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't, we hear everything you guys say, right? Well, we learn to block it out. So, so I, I, I'm on ESPN. I just did a great, great game against Mike Piscina. We win the game. I go out to a five-star restaurant in New York. Yeah. Entourage, $4,000 meal. Boom. See, I could step to the plate in Yankee Stadium, but I couldn't step to the plate at the dinner table. What does that mean? I, I would, I was so scared to get up out of the dinner table to walk across the restaurant to use the restroom. I'd almost pee my pants every single meal, or every single meal. And that's because I had no steam or no self-worth as a person. And when you go to the stadium, we have all the 
coaches. We have a throwing coach, fielding coach, hitting coach, strength coach, mental coach. We have a chef. We have a masseuse. We have trainers. We have an orthopedic surgeon. Everything that you want. But when I left the stadium each and every night, I didn't have anybody. Didn't have a mentor. Didn't have a coach. Because I didn't trust anybody. Because you don't understand what I'm going through because I'm a major leaguer. And if you're empty inside and you try to fill that void, what happens is with your identity of who you are and where you're operating from in the external world, you're operating to fill that, the, the bridge that gap. You're operating with ego. So your ego has to fill that gap in order for you to pursue, perform and produce. But ego stands for edging God out. And when I operated off of ego, I missed out on the biggest opportunity I ever had on top of the world as a major league baseball player. And the opportunity that I had on top of the world was to use that platform to impact and inspire other people, to give them a chance to maybe think about changing their life because we're all fighting the challenges and the battles uh, on our own. And through that process of everything I just told you, um, I discovered what I build off now is the MLB mindset formula. And that's what I teach people now is momentum, language and belief. You got to get into momentum because life's about momentum. And if you get into momentum, you'll get rewarded. I don't know. It's a, it's a universal principle. You will get rewarded. The way I was rewarded, I had strategic people come into my life to provide me direction and accountability and show me uh, as a guide on a, on a new map to say, okay, just do this and do this and do this. And I just, I just did it. And then, then leveraging your language, you know, you have to understand how to leverage that language yourself and be on guard of your mind because the weeds will come in automatically. The negativity will always be there. Our society is going to continue to program us with negativity. So we got to keep being on guard of our mind to put the good in our mind to override that and not go from like a negative to, to a, a positive, but go from a negative to, to neutral thinking. What can I do? What's the next step I could do to, to debunk the emotional feeling I have right now of wanting to give up? And then your belief. Your belief system is the most important thing. Uh, your programming is what I call it. It, it, is exactly what you do. You can do whatever you want, but if you don't rewrite that program, you'll never get to achieve. What I talk about is fulfillment, peace, happiness, living on purpose. I discovered gifts and talents that I never knew I had. And then I, the biggest thing is I found my smile. See, I always smiled with fans every time I took a picture. You'll never see a picture of me on the internet anywhere. Google me. I have I some that. garbage on me on the internet. Fighting yeah. John McGibbons in the clubhouse. I called Theo Epstein a, 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 a bad name on the radio. I did all these things. But you'll never see me ever trying to, uh, I did not smile. Because I never knew what a fan was going through when he came uh, or she came and had an interaction with me. I didn't know if they're one breath away from giving up. I didn't know if they're one breath away, whatever. And I always made sure I smiled. But the whole thing through Major League Baseball, buying the zoo, helping kids, helping animals, serving everybody else, I was always searching for my smile. And I found my smile. I found gifts and talents. And, and I found my voice. I never had a voice when I played Major League Baseball. Did your father have any idea at any point about any of this? I don't know if he, if he passed sooner or, or whatever, but like this, to your point, like it sounded like the way I heard, the, the, I mean, I mean, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> is that like an Eric Thomas speech come at me? That was unbelievable. That's but, funny because they call me wet. The white ET, baby, the wet. White ET, that's <laughs> but, but the the I, 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 the whole time I'm thinking like, all right, this is because of a conversation your dad sat you down and you created a story from that. And I we can all think do. of something something similar, but like not quite as not quite as dramatic as far as like the, what it what it set off. But I do know that 
there's a story in my life that I could relate back to as to why others' judgment matters to me. I can I can think of the time it happened. Innocent. It wasn't something my mother or father did on purpose, but it just was, right? Does your father have any idea to this day, or I don't know if he's, if he's still alive, uh, that that conversation, that move created this, this pain that launched all of your life up until that point? Has that conversation ever been had or, or no? When I met my wife shortly after that night in the van, uh, she made me uh, reconnect with my father and my mother. I cut my parents out of my whole career and I have to live with that. Um, and uh, sat my father down and shared my story with him and he started crying. And he said, we've been trying to tell you this your whole life, Shay, but your mom said just to let you go and you'll figure it out on your own. And my father passed four years ago. And I was there. Uh, he donated his body to science. And my mom called me in the middle of the night and I sat with her. And the, it was the most beautiful display of love I've ever seen in my life. Uh, she was married to him for 52 years. And, and it wasn't an easy marriage for her. Um, and she sat till they took his body. She sat by his side and held his hand all the way till the end. And I never got to see that because the perspective I formed didn't allow me to see that. Because that pain that I formed from that perspective, from those stories, is what drove that. And that's what drives all of us to be in a place to where we're stuck. So they were taking my father uh, out of my mom's living room that night. And I reached down, I kissed him on the forehead. And I said, Dad, I'm going to use my voice to impact the world. And that's the pact that I made to my father the last time I saw him. And I'm doing it. And I won't stop. Until my last breath, because I finally found what I've been put here to do. It wasn't to play Major League Baseball. It wasn't to crack home runs or seek the millions of dollars. It was to find out my true purpose. And unfortunately for me, it took me to go through traumatic turmoil because there's two options to be humbled, right? Either life will humble you or you choose to humble yourself and learn from people that have been humbled by life. So you don't let life take you to that point of being one breath away. I shouldn't be here right now. And I'm finally grateful. I'm finally uh, understand. I'm in a really good spot right now. I'm in my dream neighborhood, my dream house, with my dream life, my dream wife. Like I'm back on top again. And I know I'm going to have way more success now doing what I am now. But that's a byproduct of putting the work in and, and, and not denying it, not ignoring it, not sitting there like I could easily gloss over. I still have people come up to me. Oh my gosh, Shay Hillenbrand. I'm like, only if you knew, man, only if you knew. And I want to provide that voice for major leaguers. I'm pioneering this space to share the transparency, to share the vulnerability, because so many of us are, are in that place of quiet desperation. And I was there for so long and it sucked. There's no worse feeling in the world. Than, than going to bed in a, in a, in a $4 million mansion, playing for the angels, like you're living out your dream. And the first word out of your mouth is the F word every day when you wake up. Mm. Ah! And your wife rolling over like, what's wrong? And you're sitting there like, you, you'll never know. Because I don't know. See, in 2005, I made the all-star game. Yeah. I live in Arizona. And I flew a private jet from Chandler Airport in Arizona to Detroit, Michigan. I'm flying in a Citation 10 private jet. Ego. I'm pimping. I'm bad. 
See, it's the fastest civilian jet in the world. It goes 64,000 feet, 640 miles an hour. No more commercial airline. It goes about uh, 35, 40,000 feet, 300, 400, 400 miles an hour. I'm going just like a rocket. Yeah, no kidding. Imagine yourself, pilot, co-pilot, yourself, multi-million dollar jet going to your childhood dream. And I'm getting ready to play in front of a hundred million people the next day. That same place where I envisioned in the backyard as a kid, like so many people do, bases loaded, playing with football, bottom of the ninth, World Series, game seven, boom. I was going real time to live that at the Midsummer Classic. I'm looking out the window. Is this all it is? See, I didn't have any distractions. I didn't have my wife. I didn't have my kids. I didn't have family. I didn't have my entourage. It was myself by myself. And I couldn't hide behind anything to distract myself. And I'm going to live my childhood dream. And it's like, this is all it is? Man, I hate everything about this. I hate myself. But I had to put that smile on the next day and go out and perform in front of everybody to show that I'm not that hurt, disparity person's desperation to, to just, it's just, it's not a good feeling. So what drives me now is that I just desperately don't want people to feel the pain that I felt on top of the world without understanding how to navigate through that. Taking people from one step away from, from thinking that they got to give up, man, I'm, I'm ready to give up. I can't fight this anymore and switch that perspective to one step away from a breakthrough. See what I did is I, I, I went back and rewrote history so you can't change the experiences that happen in your life, those pain points in your life that could be traumatic, defining moments in your life, mostly in your adolescence or your childhood. And I had to go back and really analyze and like, okay, what happened here? What was this? What was my dad's standpoint? As much as it hurt and much as it, I didn't want to go on that inner part of who I was, I went there and I was able to change my perspective. Like, you know what? Boom. Breakthrough happens in a moment of time. And it's a moment of time where you switch the perspective from one thing to the next. So you actually can't change the experience that happens, but you can change your perspective and rewrite the history. When you do that, it grants you access to a power inside yourself that you're experiencing right now. I'm telling you, I wish I would have video footage. I'm, I'm probably glad I didn't of playing Major League Baseball, but, but it's just like, I don't know where this person came from. I, I just unlocked the vault inside myself that we all have. And I'm so like, so like passionately hungry just to share my message, to show everybody, like everybody has this in them. Like, like I did a, a keynote speech the other day. And at the very end, the guy raised his hand in front. He's like, I got a question for you. I was like, what? He's, and he's very multimillionaire uh, uh, in the real estate space. He's like, how often do you work out? I'm like, why? He's like, your energy. It's insane. Yeah. And I was like, wait, wait. See, you don't get energy from working out. You don't get energy from eating. Yes, it can influence and enhance it, but your energy comes from inside you, an absolute power that once you get out of your way, you start to, to create a hunger. You start creating a, a, an excitement. I, man, I wake up every day just excited. It's like four in the morning. My wife's like, get your ass in bed. I'm like, no, I got to go. I got to do the things I need to do every day. I have to master the craft. So I'm back in the batting cage. I'm back off the batter's team. The way I got to the top to be one of the best hitters in the world is I didn't go out there and do all this level seven, eight, nine stuff. I mastered level one. I mastered hitting off a batter's tee better than everybody else around me. And that's what allowed me a foundation to build off of and scale quickly to go to the next level. So many of us want to go to from level one to level five, six, seven, because I got the quick fix. I got, I'll get you to hundred K or get you to 500 or we'll get you a quick million and we'll get the results and do this and that. 
No, there's no quick fix. There's no shortcuts. It's going and putting yourself in a position to master the skill sets. So that's all I do all day long now is I master the skill sets within the stuff that I have interest in. Speaking, podcasting, creating videos, um, coaching, um, leading, and it, all that stuff. I just, from, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I'm in the trenches doing everything I can to get the advantage on everybody else to allow myself to set apart because I want to make myself so good that people can't ignore me. And that's what separates people that are successful from people that are average or good is that they just become so good. See, when people get to the point where, where all that skill set stuff is monotonous or boring or you start suffering, because we all go through that. I just keep going. That's it. And once you get around to that rhythm, past that spot of, of being stuck, or it's going to come back around. You just can't stop. You can't stop that momentum because progression is the key to happiness. Wow, man. I, so one of the things, wow. Okay. One of the things you shared when we spoke was how this is not uncommon in the major league ranks. And that got kind of like for a moment set me back. Like, really? I mean, I just think of, like you said, like you see this guy in a you know, major league player, NFL, whatever you think like, man, they are obviously like, that's exactly where they want to be. But as you talked to me about it, you said, Hey, look, you were in a, an executive position where you didn't feel fulfilled. It doesn't matter the area of life, but there's a commonality, especially in the major leagues and major sports in the United States around them being, and you said it earlier, especially men. So I think about the term masculinity and how much that, uh, I don't know, plays into like, is it, a, did you have to shift your definition of that, of masculinity over time? Or did you embrace your true masculinity? Like, can you just talk a little bit about the, the, the fact that, like you said, and look, men and women listen to this podcast, but I could show you the stats 80% are men. So we're going to speak to those, those men that listen to this podcast. Um, what is it, you know, is there an element in here of redefining or embracing or something with masculinity that prevents you from for so long, you know, finding those words that you used fulfillment and purpose and all of that, that light you up, that give you that energy. I, yeah. Can you speak on that? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if that, yeah. if I haven't really defined a question there. <laughs> no, no, no. I get exactly what you're talking about. I've never really been asked that question of masculinity. And to quite be honest with you, I don't, I don't relate to to that masculinity. Hmm. What, what my correlation to masculinity is, and I think that might be valid for an answer for what you're trying to yeah, you know, yeah. question is ego. Say ego, like so many of us get ego. And like I said, the ego is like, tries to fill that void from, from the internal emptiness of what you have to the success you're trying to achieve. Love that. So I call it the five P's, right? We all have pain points and pressure points in our life. The first P. There's pain points and pressure points in your life. As a husband right now, I have five kids. I have a wife. I'm living a lifestyle that I got to support. I have pressure to produce and I got to provide. I have to protect. And that's just like an internal uh, a being of who I am that if I don't do that, I, I, I have an internal struggle with, with myself and my identity. Like, come on, dude, like you need to be doing this. That's what I defined as a true core value of who I am. So with these pain points and these pressure points in our life, 100% of the time, like I shared with you earlier with my story, we form a perspective. See, your power is locked up in that perspective. So if we form a perspective to a pain point or, or, or a pressure point in our life that, that's kind of a negative perspective, yeah. what happens, what we do is we do three things. We run them and flee from that pain. We don't want to, oh, let's try to escape. We go have success. We go have status. We go gain profit. So the second P is perspective. The fifth P is profit. 
So what happens is we get these pain points and these pressure points in our life. And we say that, hey, if we just go get profit, if we just go get status, if we just go buy this, if we go have this house or this, this vacation, if we go have success, that will alleviate all the pain and pressure in my life. That couldn't be further from the truth. So those okay. are the bookends wow. and you miss the meat of the method. See, you have pain point and then you have profit on the end. The three in the middle is are, are perspective, power, and purpose. So if I understand, uh, change my perspective to those pain points and pressure points in my life, that either grants me access or denies me access to this power that you're seeing right now. I was the biggest a-hole in the clubhouse. You're like, get this guy out of here. He is a D-I-C-K. We don't want him around. He's a cancer. Trade, 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 trade. This guy can play, but he's angry. That's a perspective I formed from the pain points and pressure points in my life. Hmm. I ac- I blocked all access to the power that I have. I should have been a $100 million player, but I made $20 million. I don't care about the numbers. I'm thinking about I, I achieved one-fifth of my perspective or my performance, my potential. Yeah. One-fifth. And I was rocking it. So I was like obsessed when I left the game. Like, why did that Shea Hillenbrand reach one-fifth? And this is what I came up with is these five P's. So if you change that perspective to your pain points, you access the power inside yourself, you get liberation, you get empowerment, you get uh, gifts and talents. I never knew I had this in me ever. If you told me 10 years ago, I'd be doing this. I'd be like, dude, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. I ain't doing this. I'm going to go right off in the sunset, my 15,000 square foot house. I'm going to sit in my rocking porch with my 15 acres and my animals. I don't want to see anybody. I don't like anybody. I don't like any of you guys. I don't want to see any of you guys because I didn't like myself. So since I granted myself access to this power, now you get creative. You get out of your own way, you get creative. And when you get creative, you're able to try to figure out and align yourself with your purpose. And if you get find yourself in line with your purpose, the profit cannot come. If you pursue something that you're supposed to be doing, that excites you, that, that interests you, that, that there's substance to it, like, like you'll get so good at it that the profit cannot come. The money cannot come. It, it, it will come. That's just how life works. But so many of us go like, I got to get an executive job. I got to go get, to, you know, because I got my degree in this. I got to go make 150, 250, whatever thousand dollars to, to prove to my parents, to prove to my spouse, to prove to my friends, all my stat, all that stuff. And we have it all backwards. It's all on the inside of us. Wow. No, that that means I, I, I don't know if we talked about this, but I share that uh, my my breakdown, if you will, in that in that same thing, pursuing the job, moving me from here to here to here and then eventually landing in Michigan. Uh, that year was a massive breakdown for me, you know, just not sleeping, nothing. And I, I, it's, I love the use of the phrase ego. It, yeah, not so much masculinity, but ego. But that's what I would say is that my ego and my and my uh, authentic inner self, if you will, were battling for years and years. But the ego always won, always won. And the moment I took the ego's move, which was get the biggest job you can get, make the most money you can get, despite the fact it wasn't in my in my gift. It wasn't something that I really, truly loved. My authentic self was like, hey, ego, now what? Look at the guy. He's miserable. You screwed this completely up for us. So it's my turn to take over. But the ego doesn't go away softly. Right. So they battle it out inside of me. I'm awake mm-hmm. for you. It manifested in being on the floor of a van, arms reach from your children and one breath away from your life being gone. Right. That's what that epic battle created for you. And it happens. It happens in all of us. How do you manage the next time or will there be a next time? Like, I feel like these things come up. Our identity shift everything else. 
how do you manage the next time? Or do you, do you have the tools and equipment? I'm just kind of curious because I have that fear in me. Like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling good right now. And I love the five Ps, man. I love the five Ps. Profit at the bottom. And when you're doing it in your power on purpose, you're going to make the money. I completely resonate with that. But I also fear for me and maybe others out there haven't had that first experience yet that there's going to be another identity shift. And whatever this ego is inside of me right now, I don't even realize how big it is. It's going to be, you know, killing some authenticity in me when I go to shift identity because this is who I am now. And now I got to go be something else. How do you how do you battle that? How do you ground yourself? Or do you I don't know, I'm, I don't, maybe you haven't thought that far ahead. But I mean, what are some of the tools that you feel are, are necessary that you have in place or that you feel are in place now where you can overcome the next the next identity crisis? It's a great question. I've never been asked that, but I, I think I have an answer for you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry about like, I'm, I'm going like this. I love it. I'm, I love I'm it. training you for a new question. I'm giving you. No, I love it. I love it. So, so you guys know, this is like, this is like off the cuff too. So I'm not just yeah. BSing everybody with the script or whatever. It's, it's just when you go through these failures, it's how you communicate to yourself. Right. So I would go from one extreme to the next. I man, I I would ride the biggest roller coaster ride in the world uh, every single day internally with myself because it's an up and it's a down. It's a cycle. It's negativity. It's positivity. It's it's you know I need love and connection. I need I need significance. I need all this stuff. Now it's like okay, um, I do the daily work that I need to do on a daily basis to fill myself up. So I get in a batting cage every single day because Oprah says it best: "You're in charge of filling yourself up and keeping yourself full." So if you understand that once we have a failure, once you have a setback, it's going to send uh, an emotional reaction. That's just not how we're biologically wired. And that biological wiring of, of that emotional reaction is going to send a chemical through our body. And it just takes 90 seconds for that chemical to dissipate and go on. So what does that mean? Once we get in that cycle of we have a failure setback and then we have an emotional reaction that's negative and then we have a chemical release, instantly we have another thought that really keeps us on that cycle of going over and over and over again. We don't allow ourselves to ride that wave out and let that chemical dissipate through our body. There's going to be ups and downs. You're going to be up. You're going to be down. That's just the nature of life. You're not going to keep on this trajectory of just going up, 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 up. It's not going to be that way. There's going to be ups. There's going to be down. How do you navigate that self? Keep true to who you are. Don't attach yourself to what you do or external circumstances. I can't control what my wife's going to do. I can't control what my five kids are going to do. I can't control what my business partners are going to do or, or whatever, but I can control myself. So once I have that chemical reaction, 90 seconds, so many people are 90 seconds away from a breakthrough in their life and accomplishing their dream, but it's been 15, 20, 25 years because they keep getting in their own way and allow that to spin out of control, which I call, they don't know how to control the suck. It's not embrace the suck. I don't want to embrace the suck. I want to control this shit. How do I do it? When I have this stuff go through, I have to go from, from negative thinking to neutral thinking. Take a step back. Take a step back of awareness and analyze it from back here. Okay, I'm just going to take a second, whether that's going on a walk, whether that's just sitting down and meditating, whether that's going to a quiet space and, and, and being aware of that internal dialogue. So many of us aren't aware of that internal dialogue because it runs on a tape over and over on a subconscious system. So it's like in the background, like background music, right? Once we become aware of that background music, we can shift and reprogram with that negative thinking to neutral thinking. I don't like to say positive thinking. So if let me just give you an analogy. 
I, I hit a ground ball. I ground out. I bust my butt to first base. I'm pissed off because I grounded out. I don't know if I'm going to have a job. I don't know if I'm going to play tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to have my identity. Like all these things go through our minds just by a simple ground out. So as I get out or a strikeout in a big situation, um, there's four steps that I say that will I want to share with you to help you navigate failure. You want to talk about failing? Talk to a big leaguer, man. 2004, uh, I, I, I hit 310 for the D-backs. I had 580 plate appearances. I failed 400 times out of 580 in front of the world. Right. So I want to share this with you. If you want to learn how to fail, learn from major leaguer. There's four things. Once you fail, once you have that setback, you sit back and you analyze it. Go to neutral thinking. Get your emotions back to center ASAP with the neutral thinking. Right? That's step one. You got to get your emotional, your homeostasis ASAP. Because remember, we got to ride that wave of that chemical going through our body. The quicker that we can go back to our emotional center, then I can analyze that failure. I can extract a learning lesson from that failure and I just formulate and deploy a new plan. I fail. Get back to my, my, my emotional center with neutral thinking. Then I analyze the failure and then I extract a learning, a new, new plan and then it's deploy it. But I failed again. Dang it. Okay. Emotional center, breathing, thinking differently, understanding that I have a, okay, what could I do next? Like for me to analyze if I'm getting out on a major league baseball field during a bat, the first thing I do is like, okay, did I swing in a strike? I'm analyzing the failure. Was I on time? Where was my focus? Was I relaxed? Was my timing there? Those are four things, five things I can go to right away to analyze that. Then I extract and formulate, okay, I didn't get it. I didn't swing in a strike. Well, I didn't swing in a strike because I, I didn't see the pitch. Oh, I didn't see the pitch because I didn't start on time. Oh, I didn't start on time because my focus wasn't there. Okay, focus on when do I start? Boom. I just formulate a new plan for my next at bat after I just failed in front of 40,000 people. And I was like, okay, focus on this. And then you formulate it. You just deploy it. You got to keep going over and over. But so many people is like, okay, just go failure to failure. Uh, with a good attitude. And that's how you create resilience. Dude, you could suck it on that one. That don't work for me. Right. So it's like, you got to understand why you do things and what you have to do to formulate a new plan to get to where you want to go. So to wrap that all up, simply get back to neutral thinking. Yeah, yeah. There's four things that we can control that I want your audience to understand. If you want to understand how to reprogram yourself to get yourself unstuck from where you are right now and scale to the next level, just scale to new heights, to levels that you didn't think about and become unstoppable, there's four things that we could do right now. They're super simple. The first thing is you're in control of what you watch on TV when you come home from work or what you watch on your phone. Get this. If you wake up in the morning and you watch three minutes of the news, there's a 27% probability that you're going to have a crappy day by just wow. watching the news. I you have to be that. careful of what you watch. So many of us are trying to escape our current reality because we're not comfortable with who we are. We, we don't like comfort, but in order for us to move from where we are, to go to where we want to go, you have to get familiar with being uncomfortable. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So you're in control of what you, what you watch. The second thing is you're in control of what you listen to on the train, the, 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 the metro, or, or when you get in the car. What are you listening to? Some people put on music. Like when I played Major League Baseball, I used to love listening to Eminem, the rapper. If any people don't know who he is, he's a really angry rapper. That ingrained, that negativity, that ingrained, it worked when I performed, but I couldn't sleep at night. 
So you're in control of what you listen to when you get in the car. Now, my wife says, oh, I got to drive across town. Okay, cool. Podcast, YouTube, a sermon, Audible. I'm like, my car is my freaking universe, uh, my, my university. I'm like just listening. Control what you listen to in the car. The third thing is really important. You're in charge of who you allow to speak into your life. You got to be careful of who you talk to on the phone. Super important. So many people don't understand that. My father passed, like I said, four years ago. I moved my mom down next to me. Uh, we're really close. I talk to her every night. I have to be very careful and I have to put myself in a, in a state to be on guard because she has a tendency to give a negative perspective on things because of the way she was. Well, it's just whatever. I love her to death. She's an amazing woman, but she has a tendency. So I have to be careful to, to, to how I allow my mother to speak into my life, right? And the last thing is you're in control of what comes out of your mouth. Listen and learn from me. I was the master at that. Uh, speaking negativity into my life about what came out of my mouth. See, a negative thought is 10 times more powerful than a positive thought to your mindset. It's more powerful. And if that thought comes out of your mouth audibly, I'm not good enough, I suck, I'm not good, it's 47% more powerful than that. So what does that mean? It's 40 to 70% more powerful that negative things going to happen in your life if you speak it out loud. We're going to have negative thoughts. If we have negative thoughts, we got to switch those to neutral thinking and then understand we got to be just tame the tongue. The Bible says it, right? Tame the tongue. I've learned how to do that now. And I'm telling you, it makes a world of difference in my life with, with how I exert my energy, how I operate on a daily basis is you just got to be careful of, of what comes out of your mouth. So at the end of the day, don't say stupid crap. Amazing, Matt. You know, it's funny. I, when researching this, this interview and Googling and searching or whatever, it's, it's amazing. I, I saw exactly what you said on like fan blogs and stuff like that. Shea Hillenbrand. Yeah. Tough guy to deal with in the clubhouse. Trade, 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 but always gracious with fans. Never saw the guy do anything but smile. I mean, that's, I can find the article and send oh, that it makes to you. Me, Literally, that makes me feel good, man. Well, but what was interesting to the, in that regard, like as I watch you today and not having known you then and just getting to know you a, a bit now, as I watch you today and this energy you bring to it and everything, like, I, and knowing what your story was from that conversation where you almost ran me off the road in Cleveland, um, you know, like when I read the article, I thought, well, yeah, he, the identity piece. I know that about you now, or I knew that about you prior to this interview and more people will know as you do more and more of these interviews. Right. So knowing that about you and then watching a guy being able to take the kinds of questions that I'm asking, not that they're like the most amazing question, but like you said, like these aren't questions you get asked every day, but you're so on purpose and in your power that your ability to take that information or take that input and create value like you just did with the steps you gave with the, the, the five P's, I mean, everything, is really inspiring. So I wanted to I wanted to honor you on that awesome, first man. and foremost. It's Thank amazing. You. No, of Thank course, you. of course. And what I love about this last piece is, and this I you know like I you kind of know it, right? Like, all right, yeah. If you listen to negative things, maybe negative negative outcomes for you or whatever. But I mean, it's such a it's such a clear, obvious thing when you think about it. When you watch the news, twenty seven percent. I'm actually surprised not a bigger percentage of your of, of a three minutes. Of a bad day. That's just three just minutes. Three minutes. Okay, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> Every minute goes up ten points. But that's crazy. That. Think about it. Like just three minutes. Of, like that's like that. You know, it's, it's that like, bad ah! though. Every time I like, if I Google something about something, I don't. Oh, I heard something about this in the news. It does, man. You go down a rabbit hole and you're like, God, I don't feel good about me right now. But when you put cruddy food in your body after a while, it'll it'll have an impact. Your body won't respond the way you want it to. It won't look and feel the way you want it to. So yeah, why do we? Why do we pack our brains with all that stuff, right? So you're absolutely right. Like who you speak into your life, 
what you listen to, what you watch on TV. And then at the end of that all is what comes out of your mouth. Your mouth I, yeah. I think that's incredible. I love that outline. It's a very simple, tactical thing. I want to ask you this question that I want to know what, what you're up to next. And we can learn more about, you know, how people can find out more and, and, and maybe work with you in the future. State your purpose for me, if you don't mind. I'm interested in this person. Like when I when you say you're on purpose, what do you say your purpose is in the world? Using my voice to impact the world. It's it. How confident. I've asked this of a few people recently. It's becoming like a theme on this podcast, I feel like. But when did you become confident in that? At what point in time did you become confident in saying that without without feeling like, uh, like, yeah, it sounds goofy. They're going to judge me or whatever. Like, or are you? Confident in it. I love your questions, man. Let me tell you this. <laughs> if you if you want to talk spiritually or biblically, they, they like you have to surrender. You have to surrender to a higher power or whatever. But sure. what I discovered through that process of everything I ever experienced, and spirituality is not religion, so I'm not here to debate that, but I believe there is a higher power. And and what, what it is is like you have to be strong enough to surrender. So when I surrendered to understanding that, dude, you're here. Just walk through the door and smile. I never know what anybody's ever going to ask me on this podcast or any podcast that I do. And I always tell every single person, like you asked at the beginning, like what's off limits? What's dude, you could ask me whatever you want because it's really not me navigating this. Like when somebody like asked me, like, I'm not like trying to formulate a plan. It just gets downloaded into me, but you have to be strong enough to surrender. So when I surrendered to that calling that originally was brought into my life, when I was losing my petting zoo, when I was losing my farm, I was losing everything in my life. I was walking through the petting zoo by myself and I had an audible voice go through my head and said, use your voice to impact the world. And it stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I don't even have a voice. I am so effed up right now. I've ruined everything in my life. I don't do it. I can't understand it. But I I, I cling to that. And I believe certain points of times, whether it's images, whether it's audible, whether it's a dream, something that kind of shifts you inside. So many people go through that experience and just let it just go away. I held that near and dear to my heart because I didn't know what was going to happen over the next four years of my life. And after I lost, after that day, I lost everything in my life. And, and to be honest with you, because I've always been transparent when I was going through hell, when I was going through everything that I just hated in my life, I couldn't do it for my kids. Like I was so far off and I was so far messed up that if I thought about my kids, I, it didn't have any value. I couldn't think about, okay, do this for your parents or do this for uh, whomever. I couldn't do it for anybody because that's how far gone I was. And that's how far gone so many men get, but we're so scared to say it. But what I cling on to was when I get through this, not if, when I get through this, I'm going to use my voice to impact the world. And that was like a seven-year journey that I went on with saying that, right? Like, like yeah. you said it perfectly. When people ask me, oh, I want to use my voice. Oh, oh, I refer to your, my voice as uh, your, your purpose and mission and all that stuff. I'm trying to like justify it to make it. Right, right. I'm like, I don't give a crap what you say. I am using my voice. The wet, white ET. I'm using my voice to impact the world. I don't care what you say, man. And I'm yeah. doing it right now. But until I surrendered, until I had enough strength to say, you know what? I don't have to cling on to this last part. I don't have to do this last thing over here. I don't have to try to save this part of me to, to try to prove to my wife or try to prove to my kids. I have tried to, no, I have the goosebumps right now. That, yeah. That's why I wore a jacket. Cause you can't yeah. see my goosebumps. Like, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like when I surrendered and say, dude, 
dude, when I said, just use me, just, just wherever you want me to go, however you want me to do it. I'm going to walk through that door. See, when I was playing Major League Baseball, when I walked into a room, it was like, hey, look at me, Mariano, me, home run, two-time all Bro, did you know I used to fly private jets? 20 million. I did this. You know what? Uh, Carmen Electra wore my jersey, throwing out the first pitch. Yep, she had it for me after Dennis Rodman, all this stuff. I would do that. Like, I wouldn't say it out loud, but I'd say it no, in no. my head to try to cute. prove my worthiness. Yeah. So, so now I shifted that to where I've worked on myself so much mm. and I've extracted techniques like, like, like for, for like an eight year plan that I've done. I just did this deep dive and I, and I formulated a plan to help other people out, out of that, that are like the main points to be able to make instant impact in people's lives. And, and when I walk through a door and into a room now, it's like, all I'm trying to do is shift the energy in the room. Like, like, just like when they feel your presence. And I couldn't do that until I found my smile. I couldn't find my smile until I surrendered. I couldn't surrender until I was strong enough to understand that you, you don't need to control everything. It's all right, dude. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter if you're a major league baseball player. It doesn't matter. You don't need that. Squash the ego. Get rid of the ego, Shay. I do it every single day. The number one thing you could do to squash your ego is to serve. You've got to serve other people with purity of who you are. Just serve other people. You know how you serve somebody right now? Open up a damn door for somebody to smile. How are you doing? That's it. Once you do that, that will squash your ego. You got to get into flow in order to serve other people. What do we need to do on a daily basis to get into flow? I go out to the mountain and trail run with my dogs five miles. I'm out there with nature. I'm filling up my mind and spirit and, and getting the physical workout. I love being with my dogs. I love being with my wife. What, what, what do we do on a daily basis? That's what we have to define for ourselves is what do we do to get ourselves into flow? And what do we do when we get into flow? We have to serve other people. When we serve other people, you automatically squash that ego. It's so much easier to fight the daily life, battles of life when you squash the ego and just have a neutral place of operating from and understanding that, you know what? Tomorrow's not guaranteed, man. And if I don't make it through the night tonight, man, I'm cool, man. I, I, I found it. Wow, man. I, I, we could, I could go hours on this. <laughs> Wow. So no, it's beautiful. I love what you just said. And I appreciate you sharing that. That's something that I'm, I'm learning from more and more people that are, are truly like living into what their, their superpower, their gift, whatever it might be is, is that embracing it is a pivotal point. And I love the way you just described that. So what's next for Shay Hillman? What are you working on right now? You talked about coaching and, and inspiring others. Like, tell me about like, if people wanted to research and learn more and what they can do and how they could work with you, what would that look like? The main thing I have on my plate right now, and thank you for the opportunity to share, sure. uh, is MLBmindset.com. If you go there, you'll see what I'm doing there and see what's going on with that. Uh, I have an eight-week group hybrid coaching course. You have access to me via Zoom once a week to coach you. I have a killer uh, software system that's going to help keep you accountable, get you on direction, to get you from where you are right now and scale to the next level. I'm doing speaking engagements, putting a speaking tour together. I'm doing stuff. I mean, I'm going down. I had a meeting before this. I'm going down to the Dominican and, and, and to a baseball academy and speaking life into these kids. And I have a baseball academy in Mexico. And we have another two of them going to Mexico. Like I'm for the underdog and I'm just going out there and just doing everything I can to be the light for everybody I come around. Yes, that's coming from Shea Hillenbrand. I never thought I'd ever say this, man. And it's so like, the feeling is like just pure bliss. So I'm speaking 
I'm teaching and I am coaching. And um, I liken myself, if you want to understand kind of like what I do is like, if you get ex Navy SEALs that go out and they do leadership and mindset training, that's what I'm doing from the major league baseball mindset standpoint, because we're performing in front of everybody every single night. And I coined the focus formula. I teach people my focus formula that I, I taught to learn how to scale and all those things to get yourself back control of your life, getting yourself away from those sleepless nights and empty encounters. Like, just like, what is it like? Is this what it's all about? Like getting from that and being like on purpose and, and just being excited for life. Amazing. I love all of it. Relationship with failure. All this stuff is so, so impactful. So I truly, truly appreciate you being here, taking the time and speaking to me today. And uh, yeah, man, I hope to connect as we go on our journeys here. So thank you again. Yeah. Whatever I can do to help you out. Don't hesitate to ask. Absolutely. I know you're Yankee fan. We'll, we'll, get, we'll let you off for that. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate My pleasure. It. Yeah. Take care. that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach and give as much value as we can to you on a week to week basis. Be sure to go over and check out gobundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to five million dollar range or our champion division at five million plus or on the women's side. Gobundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon.